G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Foundations. Blood was put on the horns of the incense altar and the rest was poured out at the base of the altar of burnt offering. If you picture that, it's kind of like, wow. It would have been a pretty gross scene, wouldn't it? Really gross scene and kind of makes you realise just how serious sin is. Mm. Foundations. Understanding the Jewish foundations of our Christian faith. With Robbo Robinson and Mandy Warby. We know Jesus as prophet, priest and king. He meets all the criteria for those roles. And we know that when he spoke about what would take place regarding his own life and future events, he was correct, proving himself to be a prophet. We know that he was born in the lineage of King David, making him a legitimate heir to the throne of Israel. And he is also our great high priest. But what makes him a high priest? That's what we're going to be looking at today in Foundations. It's kind of interesting. You wonder, how did we come to the conclusion that he's prophet, priest and king? And something that actually, well, I mean, there's lots of things that gives it away. But one of them is just through the gifts that he was given when Mm. he was born, you know, given by the Magi, the gold, frankincense and myrrh. And symbolically, they represent his kingship, his priesthood, and that he's a role of a prophet. So we know he's our king. We know he's a prophet. We know everything he said was true. But why did he have to be a priest? Why is he called a priest? I mean, what does a priest actually do? I mean, if I was to use these following words, okay, an advocate, an arbiter, an arbitrator, a broker, a negotiator, a peacemaker, a referee, a moderator, an umpire, an interagent, an intercessor, the middleman, with all of those particular words, what do you think of? Well, I mean, obviously they're all... Yeah, I guess synonyms, and they're all really someone that's acting as a mediator, isn't it? You know, yeah. Someone that's mediating between two parties. Yeah, exactly. So in the Bible, the word mediator in the Greek is, now I'm, I'm going to really butcher the pronunciation on this, <laughs> I think it's mesitis, and it means one who intervenes between two, either in order to make or restore peace and friendship, or form a compact, or for ratifying a covenant, a medium of communication, an arbitrator, a go-between, or by implication, a reconciler, an intercessor. Mm. So if there are two people, for example, who are at odds with each other, the mediator goes from one party to the other, passing information back and forth to bring about an understanding, and the purpose is to initiate restitution that's going to result in restoration of the relationship so that the two separated parties can come back together and be in a relationship once more. That's, mm. that's basically the role of a mediator. And is that essentially then what the high priest did? Was that his role? Well, yeah, it actually is. There's a really good article at oneforisrael.org, and it's called The Role of the Mediator Who Can Stand For Us. It's a very, very good article. The author is Ephraim Goldstein, and he gave a pretty good description, and he uses the, uh, the annual feast of Yom Kippur, which we would call the Day of Atonement. And he uses that to describe the role of the mediator. And I read some other descriptions as well, and you can look them up for yourself. But in Leviticus 16, 
But BibleTools.org, can I just tell you, that is a really good site, mm. BibleTools.org. They also have a great description too. There's a, a lot of preparation that was done before and during Yom Kippur. Well, other preparation is explained in Leviticus 4. So basically what happens is a young bull was sacrificed as a sin offering, foremost for the sins of the high priest himself, because obviously he had to get purified first before he could do anything else. So himself and his family were purified. This requirement, as mentioned, was given in Leviticus 4 because if the high priest sinned, he'd bring sin upon the whole nation because Scary uh, you know, he was the representative. So you, know, you don't want to be going in to make atonement and then suddenly you know, you've got sin that's being dealt with at that time. So a bull was sacrificed first. The blood was sprinkled seven times before the Lord in front of the veil in the sanctuary. This is in Leviticus 4 verse 6. And then in 4 verse 7, blood was put on the horns of the incense altar and the rest was poured out at the base of the altar of burnt offering. Can I tell you, that's a lot of blood. Mm, if yeah. you picture that, it's kind of like, wow. It would have been a pretty gross scene, wouldn't it? Really gross yeah. scene. And it kind of makes you realize just how serious sin is. Mm. It's not a laughing matter. Yeah. The fact that you could have sin in your life and come before God to make an offering, if you haven't cleansed yourself, it's all over by the shouting and your condemnation as well. Mm. Sin's really serious. So the high priest had to wear very special linen garments. They were only worn once a year on Yom Kippur. He also underwent ritual water cleansing. And on Yom Kippur, only the high priest performed the sacrifices. Normally, all the priests, not the Levites, but the priests themselves would perform many of the tasks. But on this particular occasion, only the high priest, only him. Even the lighting of the menorah, uh, the incense offerings, Everything was done by the high priest on Yom Kippur, and it was the high priest, him alone, bridging this gap and meeting all the requirements between God, who is perfect and high and lofty, and this sinful people. Mm. So really important role. And it was important that the high priest himself be clean and pure. And you mentioned this before approaching God on behalf of the people, because if he was struck dead... Then where does, where does that leave the people? Mm. If he's got sin in his life and comes before the God of all creation, he's actually bringing sin, as I said, not just on himself, but on the people as well. Uh, he was the only one permitted to go into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle once a year. And then uh, later the temple, you know, the sprinkling of blood. So much blood. Mm. The very thought of all of that blood. Yeah. In such a holy place, it's kind of really hard for me to sort of get my head around that. Yeah. And that was then sprinkled before, on and before the mercy seat. It was the only time, again, in the entire year that he was permitted into that holy place. I mean, I am not a high priest. <laughs> That's a shock, I know. But could you imagine the, the fear and the quaking mm. oh, that the I, high priest would have felt when it's it's my turn? That's right. And I've got to get myself cleansed. I can't have any secrets here. I've got to just be as – and I've I've now got to go into that little tiny room. Mm. That would be terrifying. <laughs> Your heart really would be terrifying. racing, that's for exactly. sure. Exactly. So the high priest, he has to ensure his sin and that of his family is dealt with. So much ritual, so much ceremony that he had to go through for him to be right. And, of course, then with the two goats on Yom Kippur, there was one that was sacrificed for the people. Its blood was shed. The other one symbolically had the sins of the people put on it, and then it was sent out into the wilderness as it symbolically took away the sins mm. of the people, removed them. Maybe you could say as far as the east is from the west, but he yeah. takes this sin away. 
And in fact, in, in some cases, they would actually follow the, that goat and kill it out in the wilderness to make sure it never came back, symbolically carrying their sins back yeah. to them. So this was that was really, really sacred stuff. Yeah, it was. And I guess this is really the high priest fulfilling the role of the mediator, bringing the, the two groups together who were estranged from each other. So as you said, sinful man and a holy God, and the high priest is actually acting as mediator between the two. Absolutely, because you think about it, when God created his human creation, they would... Adam and Eve would, would meet with God in the cool of the evening. I mean, they met with God. They met with God. Mm. That's incredible. And then they blew it. And then the entire human race gets infected with this sin, and there's this tearing, this separation f- from God. I mean, in real regards, I I would love to have a conversation with Adam and Eve because they actually knew what it was like to have a complete, perfect relationship with God, to communicate with him, and then have it severed. Mm. We've never had that. I would like to know from them what it was like for them and how they would have been so overcome with grief and remorse Mm. they could no longer have this connection with God. And again, that's why we need a mediator. So in the next program, we will look at the role of Jesus as our high priest and how he became that mediator. That's next time on Foundations. This has been Foundations, a look at the Jewish foundations of our Christian faith. For study notes, resources and more, see vision.org.au slash foundations. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.